Hey, hey, everyone. I'm your host, Katie McCrigger-Bennett of Connecting Tech and Design, a new podcast that was designed to explore the intersection of technology and design. Catchy name for the show, if that's what we're talking about, right? So today we're going to talk exactly that, the connection, the intersection, and the connection of technology and design. I've got my favorite guest in the world today, Marks Coxon. He's got a really interesting background. I'm sure you've heard of him. It's been in the AV industry for any amount of time. You may not know if you've met him because for a while he ran around, kind of had a mask on, might not have known that was him. He might talk about that today. He might not. I don't know. I didn't prep him for that. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest, Mark Coxon. Sir, how are you? I am doing, I'm doing awesome. I'm glad I'm your favorite guest of today. Hopefully I'm the only guest of today. (laughs) Did you like that? (laughs) I did. I like how you snuck that in. That gives you the freedom to do that every time. Exactly. Exactly. What, what, what everybody does know is right. Anyways, uh, Mark, so you have recently, sort of recently joined a new, uh, a new, new form for you, Tangram Interiors. Mm -hmm. Definitely want to talk about that. But before we get into sort of what you're doing now and all of the fabulous things that are on the path ahead, Wanted to kind of back up the truck a little bit, have uh, have you kind of introduce yourself again to our audience and what what ultimately led you to where you are today and some of the cool stuff that's happened along your career path, if you would. Uh, yeah, sure. So, you know, I, yeah, I came back uh, to integration, which was um, actually where I was from. A lot of people knew me or came to know me when I worked for Milestone and when I worked for Barco, when I was working on the manufacturer side. Um, for those who do, that didn't know me before, I always worked for small integrators. So in 2002, I started in residential AV in Arizona and kind of worked in there through the housing boom. Um, and then once uh, the housing market started to uh, collapse and wither, I found out in order to make money and support my family, I was going to have to to morph and change a little bit. And I ended up moving to California and starting in uh, commercial integration and also museums. So those were my integration kind of roots. Uh, I always say manufacturing was more of a sidetrack for me. It gave me a, a great wealth of experience. I met some amazing people. Milestone is probably still one of my favorite places that I've ever worked as far as just um, people in general. Um, so, you know, I loved my manufacturing uh, experience. But what I found out was um, I was really getting too far away from the customer. And where I was really good in integration was when I got to sit down at a table across from somebody who was building a house, designing an office, trying to solve a problem and speaking plain English to them in a way that we could solve the problem together. And technology just happened to be the solution to that at the end. Um, And if it wasn't, we didn't do business, which was great. Um, But because I didn't historically come from like a technical background, like as a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian, right? I was going to school for zoology. I thought I was going to work for the game of fish department for a while. I was working on a ranch and pulling calves and digging post holes and you know, chasing chickens around and dragging a roping arena and doing all these things. Um, You know, I didn't think I was going to be a technical guy. So when I came into this industry, I came into somebody who had never taken apart their computer, who wasn't a guy who was playing with stereos all the time. And I had to learn it um, from the ground up. And I really learned it in a very organic way um, that actually related to things I knew, which was um, biology. And so a lot of the ways that I explained things to people were almost in, in a way that was very organic like that as well. And then because most people understand how their body works a little bit, if I likened things to that, um, it seemed like we got really far, really quick in understanding what we were talking about. And then we could, you know, tweak things. And um, so anyways, this gave me a a really great chance. Um, I really feel like it gave me a chance to use my 17 years in AV all in one spot. 
um, because now I, I have a small sales team that I, that I mentor and that I run. Um, and then I get to make some decisions on strategic growth and how we, how we approach a, a completely, well, not completely different, but, a a little different angle to the market that most AV companies take. And, um, I, I've found it to be extremely rewarding. I'm only a hundred days in, I'm still in the honeymoon period. If I hated it now, we'd really be in trouble. Um, but I'm, I'm very optimistic that this could be, you know, the place I've been looking for where I can sit for, for 20 years and really make an impact. So, yeah. Yeah. And it really, the way that you explained it there it really sounds as though you're sort of sitting in that, in, in sort of that perfect position in between the, the actual integrator of the integration community and the manufacturing, manufacturing community. Um, and you noted that I also was working with manufacturers before just sort of how fun that was and the experience of kind of seeing things behind the scenes. Um, as you, I, uh, listeners, you can't see his face, but I can see his face on video and you can see, you can see how much he loves this. Like <laughs> your yeah. eyes, your eyes lit up as you got into, into the more recent uh, aspects of, of your career path. So, um, so I think that's really cool. And only hundred days, it seems like it's been longer than that, but, um, it also seems like it's been longer since Infocom it really hasn't. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think we finally sure. seen the last of the Infocom news sort of, sort of plunging <clears throat> down at, at this point and, uh, I'm grateful for that, but uh, <laughs> let's move on to a new subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, good. So that's so that's kind of you know, what led up to where you are now, and a little bit about what you're what you're doing. But um, peel back that layer a little bit more and talk about what Tangram does. Um, sorry, Tangram Interiors does, and um, some of the things that you're specifically doing. And one of the things that I saw early on, and it might have been when the announcement about your new position came on, um, was that you were going to be developing some product development and um, particular some interiors or, or furniture line talk. I transition over into to that a little bit too, um, where appropriate, but um, just really kind of want to get to know what you guys do a little bit more and share that with the, with the audience. Sure. So Tangram Interiors uh, at its core, I mean, the the base business when, when it was, um, you know, when it, when it came into inception, I guess, was it, they're a steel case furniture dealer. So if you're familiar with Steelcase Furniture, um, they're the, they own the territory here in Southern California. So Los Angeles, Orange County, Kern County, Riverside County. If you're going to buy Steelcase Furniture, you're going to talk to Tangram. They're the only person you can talk to about Steelcase Furniture in that region. So Steelcase that does this thing where they have these protected dealerships and then they have trusted partners to deliver their product within um, those territories and their protected territories. So um, that was where Tangram kind of started. What you find out quickly, and, and you represent several manufacturers yourself with your business, but what you find out quickly is not, not one company makes everything that'll fit the needs of all your clients. And so although Tangram is a steel case dealer first and foremost, they, they do have other lines of, of furniture and things that they've added as time went on in order to meet the needs of their community. And their community or their customers are typically architects and designers, um, you know, end users and, and sometimes general contractors or facilities managers, but they're talking to people, you know, at the end user company or designers that are designing for an end user company about really about space problems. Hey, here's our, here's our floor plate. And this is the type of work we do. You know, how should we be lining things up in order to set 200 people in this space and to productively do this type of work? And they lean on us from everything from, you know, kind of like uh, test fits to see how things line up or, you know, they may, they may lean on us for even more for, you know, color concepts and all those type of things or, or best practices that we've seen in other industries. 
So as that is developed, um, Tangram really saw the opportunity and the need to add different disciplines other than just furniture to their business. And so one of those disciplines was move management. We have a move management team. Obviously, if you're moving, you need to know where to put your old stuff. Do I auction stuff off? Do I keep new stuff? Who moves it? Who stores it in between? Um, we do some of that. Uh, we have a team that does flooring and light TI work. So if you're doing tenant improvements, you're going into space, and let's say the space is all built out, pretty much ready to go. You move in two months later, you realize, hey, we really need a copy room over here. We really need two more closed off offices, and we need some flooring or some paint work done. Um, they focus on typically things under 7,000 square feet, but they do that type of work. So we have a full contractor's license in California to do that. There's a division that does that. And then um, we have another group called Studio Other, which used to be Tangram Studio, but we've rebranded that. And that's actually a, a kind of from the ground up furniture design company. So a lot of times we find companies that are trying to do something or trying to achieve a look or a feel or some type of function in their space where just nothing on the market really fits it. And so we have industrial designers and a production team and everything that actually will um, you know, conceptualize, we call it co-design, but we sit with our customers, figure out what they're doing, and then we're able to do that. And then we have the technology division, which is the division I'm the sales director for. Because we know once we're in the space, in the modern workspace, technology is always a part of that story. Um, but if we can get to the table early when we're talking about the way people work, the inertia of workflow, the type of users they have, um, maybe problems they've had with technology adoption in the past or things they didn't really like or things that could have been better, opportunities for improvement, we get that conversation so much earlier if we're sitting with designers and furniture people and space planners than we do if we're sitting with IT two weeks before the building's supposed to be occupied. And so, you know, I, I was brought over in order to truly really help that technology division who's had a, a lot of great success in the last couple of years um, figure out how we scale and grow and how we, we really, um, I guess, go to market with the message of, of what we do that's different. And when you talk about something like the, uh, the furniture tie-in or some of those type of things, you know, many times we're working with studio other and they're saying, Hey, if you could build a, a technology desk or something that was integrated, what would that look like? And what would that be? And, uh, many times they come to us for, for problem solving too. Hey, the customer has, you know, they want to be completely modular and reconfigurable. How do we do that in today's world? you know, where we don't have these long whips and wires and all these things that have to plug into a floor or be based on infrastructure that's part of the building. How can we make things completely flexible and mobile? And so, you know, we lean on each other, which is the amazing part, right? Is that you get to have some really fun and interesting conversations, which is what I really loved about the museum space was everything was one-off. And it was always this interesting conversation about solving a problem. I mean, if you worked with a the museum, they might be the only museum in the world that had this artifact and they want to tell a story about it. I was going to say, um, this has got to be probably one of the most challenging environments to work in and more complex scenarios to work through. I, mean, I, I can't think of anything that outside of healthcare potentially, or maybe yeah. those kinds of things, but yeah. So, so we really come to it from, you know, when I'm looking at, when I'm talking to customers and talking to businesses, I, I, I kind of approach it from that same way. Like there are some unique problems that you face in your business that your competitors don't face either based on your size or based on your history or your location or regulations or whatever that is. And, you know, I'd love to know what challenges you're facing, whether you think they have anything to do with technology or not. Let's have this conversation in this kind of cross-discipline panel here of people. We have custom furniture people, we have designers, we have construction people, we have technology people. 
we hear these problems and now we can all, you know, from this kind of cross-disciplinary approach, be able to bring maybe some solution to the table that nobody else is really thinking about. Because most people are worried about filling their own bucket. This is the problem with sales, right? Like they know what they can sell. They start mentally connecting dots as soon as somebody starts talking to the four things they have in their bag that they want to take out and show them. And, and I really hate that approach. I always say that, you know, the best tool I have in my whole bag is a blank piece of paper. And I try to come into every single conversation with a blank piece of paper. No predisposed notions of what the, the solution is going to be, but really just come in and start to listen and, and hear what's going on. And then, yeah, we can start to connect dots. But I really, I really feel like if we do it together, the end result's so much better and, you know, from a sales perspective, for anybody listening selfishly, you know, if the customer arrives at the solution, it's really hard for them to value engineer it later, right? Like if they've decided these are the, they've set the eight criteria that they need. And now that they've set that all down themselves on a piece of paper and you go back and say, okay, I can meet six of those. Are these two really as important as you said they were? And they go, no, those are important. And those are worth the extra three, five, 10%. So, um, you know, it's not only fulfilling to solve a problem, but, you know, just from a, an actual business perspective, it's, it's, it's great. And then the customer understands everything that you've done and they, they trust the process because you didn't go in trying to shoehorn them into something that you thought they needed before you ever talked to them. So. Yeah. So it sounds like sort of the, the, the creative process of this particular environment really, it, it allows for the uh, client to be a little bit more involved, but then also to make sure that the client is getting what they're wanting, but also with your influence of what could be possible. Um, and I, and I, love, I love that environment personally, just, you know, as, as a creative, um, different space, but, you know, creative, creative thinker as well. And it's, uh, it's cool to be able to, to just sort of sit in that in that bubble and 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 just listen at first and feel really empowered to get all of those those inputs and inputs and impulses, um, and then yeah. and be able to go back and say okay here here's what's possible you know you you tell me what you would like next um, you know personally, I just love that environment it sounds like it's, you've got that there which is cool it it is really cool and I think it it opens the doors for us because. Yeah. You know, when you go in as a as an IT contractor or an IT resource, you're seen as a purveyor of equipment and perhaps a labor pool, right? Those are the two values you offer to IT: are manpower and perhaps a door to a product they can't buy from CDW or Inger Micro or one of the you know Cinex or whatever the DMR they buy from is. Um, really, that's the way they see you. You're a gatekeeper between a product they need or you're just a, an extension of a labor force for them to roll something out. Um, so, so many times, you know, I find that when we can have these larger conversations, the people that are planning the space aren't the IT department typically. They're going to be involved because they need to do infrastructure, right? The facilities manager is not involved in planning the space. Usually it's the, it's the C-suite that's really thinking about the mission of the organization, what they're trying to accomplish, and, and really it's what stage of, of – company they're in. Um, you know, companies that are in growth mode or innovative companies have a lot more leeway to, to really think about what they create as a, as a means to reaching their goal. Whereas when you're a company that's mature and in stasis and just trying to hang on to profit margin, then you're probably going into a customer who's going to be a lot more, a lot less um, concerned with partnership and a lot more concerned with efficiency. 
right? So there's, there's some of that thought where you have to think is, are these people really need what we provide? Because not everybody does, right? I mean, if you're, if you're making XYZ widgets and your goal is to make 50% more of them because you have to compete with China now, you know, who cares if your lobby looks pretty, right? That might be, that might be the least of their concerns. But if you're, you know, that same manufacturer or same type of manufacturer, but you're trying to come up with generation two of that product, and now you're trying to recruit innovative talent out of a university to come and work for you, then yeah, maybe your factory plant's on efficiency, but your corporate office is on growth mode, right? It's on recruit. It's on create an impression. It's on... So, I mean, we really have to talk about those things, but this gives us a platform to talk with people that um, maybe AV people aren't so used to talking to. Um, and it's a, it can be challenging, but it can be extremely rewarding as long as we remember that um, you know we're not in there to talk about speeds and feeds and widgets, but about about business problems. So, well, you forgot the case. Yes, exactly. We couldn't live a day without that. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, okay, so so let's break this down just one one more layer. So uh, for. For the audience, which for the show is is combined of architects, interior designers, uh, manufacturers, mm-hmm. and AV integrators, the uh, integration community at large, um, how do how would they look at at sort of this space for for somebody who isn't actively involved um, in um, in sort of this that intersection design and technology? Um, but if they have a client who's you know coming in, let's I'll just kind of set up the scenario that you know a corporate client who's looking to um, reset their lobby reception area, executive boardroom, um, and maybe some workspace as well um, to address um, uh, sound masking and, and some of those situations. So that's the setup. They've come to the integrator. What what would the integrator kind of do with that with that conversation? How would they get involved with a company like yours um, or with your company? Um, Kind of just kind of walk through that walk through that process so that uh, the audience kind of understands how to get involved with you guys and um, and where some of the the connecting points to the other trades exist. Yeah, so I mean, I think if the design community was looking to get involved with us and in, in some you know portion of that, typically, I mean, typically they're going into an equation where the customer is asking for help in what is the best way. Um, you know, to design a space today to meet the needs of today's workforce and to be as productive as possible and still provide, you know, all the avenues for work at home and all the other things that people are going to do. Um, Most of the time, the designer may have a trusted partner they work with for that. Um, They may not. But, But what happens is, is that I think in the past, we've trained the design community to see us as just that provider of gear at the end because of the type of conversations that we have, you know, so for somebody like us, like we'd, we'd really love to be at the table in the beginning, um, discussing those business problems, not because it helps us sell technology, but because it helps us understand the customer. I've said for a long time, I wrote an article a long time ago called you just walked the wrong job site. And the reason, the reason I said that was because most of us as most of the integration community, what they want to know is what does a new building look like? How high are the ceilings? How big are the rooms? And here's a plan for technology. Great. You've looked at a building without knowing anything about the company that you're talking to, and you've designed something for a building and not designed something for a company. And so, you know, my, my theory is, is that, you know, the job site you want to walk is the company's current business. 
if they're moving, why are they moving? Do you need more space? Does it need to be more efficient? Is it in the wrong location? And my customers are closer to here. So we're going to have more people coming through the office. Great. Those give us a lot of insights. You're going to have more people coming through the office. How much more important is your lobby than it was before? Right. And if you have people coming into your lobby, who are your customers and they have to sit there for seven, eight minutes waiting for somebody to come get them for a meeting, wouldn't it be great to start to educate and engage them with your company in a very interactive way that they can engage in ad hoc while they're waiting as opposed to giving them an old magazine that sits on the table, right? And so we start to talk about those type of things. I think the other thing that we we talk about, you know, at least I like to talk about and I've talked about a lot lately is that, you know, many times we look at spaces and we look at technology as just a cost. And then we say, it's a cost center. And we say, okay, well, how much return do I get on that cost center? And it's really hard to say, okay, well, if I buy a 75 inch flat panel, I'm going to get a, a 1.25. And if I buy an 80 inch, I'm going to get a 1.3 X return on that. Like nobody knows that number. Right. But we do know, we do know this. We do know that if that's a room that you use to close business and your customer who comes through there could be worth $400,000 worth of business to your company and you buy something that falls flat, what's the opportunity cost of that room not working properly when you need it to for the business function that it is. And so I think when we start to have a lot more conversations about that up front, then we can help them determine what those budgets need to be. And we know what the opportunity cost of not doing things right is. And we don't make decisions based on what's in our line card and like what's in our head when we come through the door, but we really start to make decisions on, on things based on how people use the building. And the other thing is, is like we have designer, like we're, we, you know, I posted a picture of our sales meeting the other day and it's not just my tech team. It was the whole furniture team, but the room's 65% female. That's not an AV room typically. Right. But we have designers in our company. We have a design kind of backbone and a design, I guess, zeitgeist that goes through the company. Um, I know, you know, architects and interior designers, they hate it when you come and put a black rectangle on the wall. They spent, you know, three months debating on what that, you know, wallpaper finish was going to be or what kind of wood veneer you're going to use on millwork. And now we come in with, you know, the Costco TV comes in with whatever shiny bezel and, and ruins everything. Um, so, you know, me coming from, from a background of museums and stuff, you know, like a lot of times something had to look like a tree or something had to look like part of a, of an old 19, you know, twenties Jules Verne time machine or, you know, HG Wells type thing or whatever it happened to be. And, you know, so I think, I think, um, our team is, is very sensitive to design considerations and isn't just looking to tell you, well, you're just going to have to make do with this because that's what you get when you hire us. And I feel like many times that's why things get left to the end. Um, and I, I think the other thing is, is that many times, you know, people assume things change too much over time. So, you know, if you buy a computer today in two years, it's no good, right? So if I'm two years ahead of the curve, does it really, do I have an advantage to talking to a technology person if two years down the road, the technology is going to be different? Um, if you look at our history of Infocom over the last five years, the products aren't substantially different, right? There, there may be some small differences between them, but there's, there has been no radical leap since the CRT to the plasma. There really hasn't been a radical leap in AV. We get a little thinner. We get a little lighter. We get a little thinner. We get a little lighter. We get more K's. You said the K's. K's. More K's. K's. Lots of K's. I got K's. lots of K's. Four more K's. I have more K's um, than you. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
but but those are all things that'll work themselves. Th- those all aren't things that would stop you from having those techno- technology conversations up front, right? So we don't. I think the the misperception is we have to decide what everything is today, and I don't think we have to do that. What we have to do is we have to understand where technology is going to close the gap between what the space is and what the business goal is. And where technology bridges the gap between those two, and we can plan for that up front, and then whatever the relevant equipment at the time is, we can still put in. So, um, anyways, I probably got long winded on that, but I, I do get really excited about it because, you know, these are the type of conversations we really should be having with people as an industry. And I think, like I said, too many times, you know, we just we get relegated to that last percent. And I, I read an article in Architecture Magazine or something like in 2000, geez, it was probably 2012 or somewhere around there, six, seven years ago. But it said, you know, 80% of architects agree that technology is a huge part of um, today's workplace. And 20% of them engage somebody in technology before the last part of the project. It's like, there's this huge gap between what they know is important and, and when they actually engage. And I think that's been bad behavior on our part. So I guess my message would be, hey, you're going to get good behavior over here. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, more and more firms like ours are, are really trying to approach it that way. And we're really trying yeah. to solve business problems and not sell tech. So Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm glad that you you didn't get long with it at all, by the way. Um, you are passionate. And that's exactly why the show exists. And that's exactly why I had you on today, even though we tried to be on last week and a couple weeks before that. And then, but anyways, um, it, it this is such an important conversation to be having right now. And, and the fact that you pointed back to an article, six, seven, eight years old, that said exactly what it's saying. And if you listen to, and I'll say for this audience, both sides of the fence, all sides of the fence, I'm hearing about it. Architects, interior designers, manufacturing integrators are all saying, we've got to get connected sooner. Um, that, and I, so it, that leads me to believe that the architecture and the interior design communities are understanding that technology needs to be um, it needs to be a conversation point that takes place earlier. I think it's the engagement timeline that now needs to needs to continue to be sort of the drum on which we beat um, to make sure that we're not just having a conversation, but we're actually having the engagement early so that as the various phases of these projects commence and continue, that there's a technology expert available or there to make sure that each step goes off without a hitch understanding that if it does go with a hitch, if nothing else is going to progress smoothly. It throws the whole timeline off and, and invariably, and correct me if I'm wrong, costs are likely to increase because of those timelines not being met or perhaps the wrong products being specified or in your case, the wrong interior components being combined with the wrong technology components or perhaps the wrong specifications altogether. When you're talking about a custom build, that gets really kind of scary for meeting an end timeline when there's a lot of trades involved. Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's how I get long-winded and, and passionate. And again, that's exactly why this, why this show exists is, is to sort of um, have, have the conversation, but then also to bring the advocates for the individual trades or um, product or technology categories to come and have a voice and say, you know, this is what we do. This is what, you know, what you may know us for. This is what you should know us for now. And this is when and where you should involve us. Um, and I think that, you know, the more, people that come onto this show and shows like this and really have that conversation, the more that all of the trades will better understand what really is needed in order to improve the end results, as opposed to just complaining about the end result, not quite being what everybody wanted or hoped dreamed of. Right. Um, so, you know, I guess with, with that in mind, you know, um, go down, let's go down this path a little bit further and talk about that, that time, the talk, the having the conversation timeline, 
and then the engagement timeline and how, you know, what recommendations would you give sort of for all parties involved for how to start, how to, how to bring technology into the conversation early enough for those, for the stakeholders to make sure that they've got the right trade partners on, on board or that they know where to go to find them. Yep. So, so for me, this has been, I mean, uh, this has been a journey that's been taking place for um, quite a few years. You know, I, I had a real aversion to social media um, and wasn't a writer before 2009. You know, I did the first seven years of my career being very quiet and not doing anything in the social space. So there wasn't a lot of social going on in 2002 to 2009, but um, you know, Facebook popped up in what, 05 or 06 is pretty heavily and things started to pop off in certain ways there. Twitter came about and, you know, a little shortly thereafter. Um, I had a huge aversion to, to doing that. I thought it was something that was frivolous or narcissistic or some of those type of things until um, I became a business development manager for a new division of a company here in California when I was doing the museum work. And um, all of a sudden, I figured out um, that just social actually built organic hits quicker than anything else on Google. And just that metric alone said, well, maybe I should be paying more attention to this. Uh, It sounds like a tangent, but let me get back to what you're asking about. I I think the main thing we have to do for engagement, number one, um, we have to introduce ourselves before there's a project we're trying to get in on, you know. Hey, Mr. Architect, I know the type of work you do. I don't even know if you're working on a project we can work together on right now, but I would love a 15-minute meeting to let you know what we do and where we can add value to your firm. Um, I've done these meetings, um, 15-minute meetings, where I actually go in and I actually set the timer on my phone for 15 minutes, set it down, and I say, I'm going to respect your time. You gave me 15 minutes. Um, I'm going to quickly tell you what we do and where I think we can offer you some value. And if you'd like me to stay after for Q&A or something, you have a specific question, I'm happy to. But when this beeps, I'm going to leave. Um, I've done that and gotten a call a week later about a project, right? Because because you you came in, you were short and sweet. You're not wasting a whole hour. They're not getting AIA credit for it or anything like that. They've got a lot of other people that want their time, right? So I think, I think number one, we have to, we have to realize that we're not, we're not the only person calling on these firms. You know, there are a hundred different vendors calling on an architect or a thousand, who knows, right? It's, it's huge. They have a librarian for a reason, right? The librarian has to manage all the data they get that comes into a firm. Um, so, you know, number one, we have to realize we're not the most important person on the total poll. We need to get in and introduce our value proposition very early. My success with that community has come from offering work for free up front. The saying, I, what Gary V says, don't get fancy till you get till you're fancy, right? Don't be fancy till you're fancy. If it's you, funny if how you, much Gary V comes up on the show. I just have to right. It, it does. So. Yeah, <laughs> every other show. <laughs> it's somebody, right? So you know, he, but he says that because the and the reason that the the what he meant what he meant by that and what I mean by that is that you know I haven't I haven't provided any value to this firm before, and so for me to say that I'll come and sit in your meeting for a two hundred and fifty dollar an hour consultation fee they're never going to agree to that, right? But if you say, you know what, the next time you have a project where technology, you know technology is going to be a part of that subject matter, I would love to come in and just sit as part of your team and listen. And as you need technology advice, um, ideas, uh, you know, that type of mindset for planning infrastructure or any of those things, um, you know, I can, 
I can intercede. And then at the end, I'll give you kind of a summary of what I heard. And if that project goes forward, this is my rate to hire me in order to design it, do X, Y, Z. Um, even on the home side, I used to do that. And that's why I knew it worked is because on homes, when we were looking for real estate agents um, that wanted to refer us to people who bought new homes, we said, you know what, we'll do, you do the work for free. We could say, you know what, we'll go with you. When you take a new listing, we'll come in and we'll itemize all the stuff in the house. We'll test if the speakers work. We'll test if the security system works. And we'll give you a sheet that details a technology in the home that you can give to the, any potential buyer as long as you refer us afterwards. So this, this idea of, of you know, provide value before you, you're asking for payment, um, it's a huge thing that we can do. And what's the cost of it? So unless you, unless you go in there and embarrass the architect, you're going to get invited to that meeting over and over and over and over again because it costs them nothing. And the potential advantage may be huge. So if you have good people skills, you listen, you don't sell too early, and you ask for an opportunity to come sit for free and listen to a client, most people will say yes. They really will. Um, and I, I got a lot of opportunities out of doing that. Um, the other thing is, is to produce content, you know, like you're doing here with this, this isn't specific to anybody's project or anybody. We're not trying to sell a product on this podcast. There's no, there's no click to click to purchase at the end of, of Katie's podcast today. So sorry if you were waiting for that, but it's not going to happen. There's <laughs> there's no, there's no link to my company. I didn't, I didn't pay Katie to have me on. There's no, there's no funnel we're trying to fill here. Um, that's the type of content that we have to produce, right? We have to produce things that are, are practical. And, you know, I heard a long time ago, uh, learned a long time ago that you never contact a customer without a valid business reason. So these calls where we call architects and go, Hey, just checking in to see if you had a project we wanted to work on. So most terrible call you could ever make. It wastes everybody's time. And, and unless there's something really pressing, you're going to get a no and they're just going to get off the phone. But, you know, if you're, if you are writing, if you're producing a video, if you're, if you've got a new project with a case study in a vertical that they're interested in or that they work in, um, just getting people on that thing and say, Hey, from time to time, as your advisor, from time to time, we work on projects with other architects um, or with other clients. And sometimes those things are really relevant. Would you mind if I put you on a list and just shared those things with you like bi-weekly as we put them out? Oh no, sure. Go ahead. You know, always un they unsubscribe if it gets too much. Right. But if we're producing that content then we become top of mind, number one, number two, again, they continue to get value out of what you're doing. Maybe they have an ad hoc conversation with the customer where they were able to use some of your advice. And then when the customer asks like, Oh, well, tell me more about that. Well, you know what? We need to get the guy in here that, that um, taught me that. And so I think those are the ways we get ahead of the curve. You know, if we're chasing the Dodge construction report or we're chasing the FBO.gov RFP listing or we're, if, if these are our business development efforts, which I've seen a ton of people live on, that's great. You'll get RFP work, but you'll never have an early stage conversation. You will always be at the end of that creation and you'll never be able to add the full value that you can. And I used to have to tell people, I'm like, I can't add value by filling out your spreadsheet. If you, I mean, I, in fact, if, if it was a project I really wanted, I would say, you know, what, I'm willing to do it. If you'll give me 15 minutes to present it because I'm not going to be low. And I need to tell you what, why I put down what I put down. And if I couldn't get a 15 minute audience to explain my bid, I didn't bid a project. 
And I think as an industry, we really just have to, we just really have to decide, like, do I, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to have customers that rave. Like I want evangelicals, right? Like I want, oh my God, I, t- I never even thought we could do what we did. And we came to the table with these problems and this person listened to us and they thought, and then all of a sudden we had this huge solution that we never knew was possible. And, and it's amazing. And, you know, uh, it's really hard to get displaced in the next bid for 5% when you offer that kind of value up front. Yeah. 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 Okay. Really good points. I was taking, I was trying to write as you were rocking, as you're talking to paraphrase down. So listen, in case you didn't come with notes, pad and pencil available, uh, your pal Kate has gotten, uh, has taken care of that for you. Anyways. So here we go. So Mark is suggesting, first of all, and this is the, one of the more surprising things Mark I've ever heard you say that you had a social media aversion. I, I, I just don't even see how that's humanly possible considering how, prolific you are um and in my view always always have been what's funny about that is i bet you if you ask the greater majority of those at least in the av industry who are who are really active on uh social media or perhaps only know each other through social as you and i did um until we actually met at infocom but yep. we, we i shouldn't say we met we shook hands and uh, we actually got to see each other face to face but you know i think it, i think that's actually that's kind of a common bond behind all of us is we originally we weren't keen on jumping into that ring and it's like you know we're we though we're outgoing i think we're all so introverted too and i think that there's there's an interesting i bet you there's more of that in the industry than and probably across the trades too um, and I bring that up because as a communicator, I think it's good to sort of understand that you, we very likely are a lot more like the people that we work with um, on a day-to-day basis, as well as those that we've never met but would like to work with. I bet you there's more of a common path between all of us than we really ever uh, imagined. So, yeah. I, you know, I te- I'm a very personal person. You know, I, I, that's just kind of my nature. So I tend to always really try to get to know people before before I dive in with anything that I'm offering or, you know, suggestions, recommendations or whatever. But so anyway, so, so social media version, I think, um, let's just, that wasn't what you were suggesting to have one. You were suggesting get over that and get out there because it is very, um, it is, it is a very valuable and viable environment. And I have to second that, um, without social media, a lot of, a lot of brands would never have been, um, heard about, would never have made their way into the marketplace. Um, and likewise, you know, architects and designers, without you being as active as you are on social media, the other trades may not know that you exist or the quality of the work that you do, sort of your why. Um, so social media really is, it, it has become one of, it, I think it's the most important platform where people not only engage with um, and consume news, but also learn, validate, um, and share. And I think, you know, so social media being key. Um, you made a mention about the librarian at, 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 at architect firms particularly, um, and, and the commenting on just the volumes of information that, that, that trades and their their individual firms have to manage on a daily basis, and that those volumes of information that go into the projects. So, you know, understanding that that's true across all of the trades and how best to deliver that information, new product information, new technology updates, information about your company in such a way that it's concise and, and it gets to the right people within a firm who then can make that information available. Sounds like getting to know the librarian um, might be a bit of a challenge, but once you do, that's a really good person to stay close to and make sure that that person has the most most current information to make sure that you know, you're kind of not only front of mind, but that that firm is using the right specs and not uh, yeah. ones or for products that maybe didn't pass muster after a few years in the field. 
get that product information out of that librarian's hands and out of that out of the firm's view so that old age old problems don't continue to crop up and that's you know I, that was my kind of takeaway there um you also talked about um provide value before asking for anything um and particularly for payment and i you know I, again as a communicator absolutely agree with that one and i think it's uh, industry-wide all industries i think that that's sometimes we forget that just because of the um, the pressure that's placed on salespeople to perform and close, you know, close, close the deal. Um, and that's, that's good, but you've got to show value beforehand in order to make the deal come together quickly, cohesively, and, and to make sure that you're respected and realized as being a value added part too. So really, really good stuff there. Creating content, of course, big fan, love it. Um, not just the podcast, but so much of my world revolves around content. And honestly, my, my career pivot was when I understood that it, Everything started with content, and it was the vehicle that we put it into to deliver it to the audience uh, that was sort of the specialized mechanism. So um, y y content is key to everything, and quality content, absolutely. Case studies. So for integrators especially, and you know, architects and designers, you guys too, as you finish projects, before, actually back up, before you go into projects, make sure you can get photography secured so that you can really do a very meaningful story about the project afterwards and highlight the elements that you and your team, your firm, your, your partners were involved in, and then share that with these other trade partners to show them in, and, and illustrate to them what you bring to the table and ultimately how you finish the project. That last 5% is so critical, but it's also that, that after effect. Once the client has moved in, once, you know, once they've experienced it, um, so if you're able to go back and get some of those quotes a little bit later, I know we all hate to go back to a project, but you can get out, get paid. Shouldn't do that. You didn't get out, paid, get paid, but then stay on the line, be there for support, be there to inquire, be there to follow up and, 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 um, help them progress those products and technologies that you've installed or, or integrated, um, down the road so that that client becomes a future client as well, not just one and done today. Um, so, you know, really sharing those stories. And again, as a communicator and, and in my other life as PR, I can't tell you the value of, of a case study or an installation overview that provides an audience a better understanding of how things get installed or applied. There's nothing better than that. And editors across the board are looking for that. People like me are looking for that. People in the trades are looking for that. So definitely, you know, try to do that and understand there are people that can do that for you if you don't have that resource. Don't accept that just because you can't or you're not familiar with that it's not possible. And I think, you know, if, if there's anything that I can kind of influence in any of these conversations, it's there is a resource for everything that you need. Don't, don't allow yourself to accept that just because you can't, that it can't be done. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also think that, you know, the kind of the closing point you said is make sure that you know that the projects you're approaching are right for your company. Um, and that was my, my paraphrase of what you had said. But I think it, it's just good to kind of remind that not every project is right for every company um, and not every partnership is is effective we're going to be effective if it hasn't been the groundwork hasn't been properly laid so um how did you did i did i pick up all your points wow i, I can't believe i even said all that stuff That's really <laughs> <awesome. laughs> well i think it's all really it's, it's really important takeaways and what's really it what's interesting to me is you know we've, we've come and gone from a trade event like infocom which for those of you who don't know is the annual uh trade event and exposition that takes place either in orlando or in las vegas it's massive it's all things commercial audiovisual as well as the experience that um integrated technologies uh create and include big big event if it's not on your radar you should check it out it's i-n-f-o-c-o-m um and it's uh supported by an organization called the vixa a-v-i-x-a mark around a t-shirt check it out 
<laughs> you guys couldn't see that, but he stood up to show the shirt. He's wearing the new Avix of V-neck, which, by the way, ladies and gents, it's awesome. You should get one. Uh, are they still there? I think Barb, I think Barb uh, made Luke Jordan take the rest of them home to Texas, so you might have to contact Luke to get one. <laughs> Luke is probably selling them on eBay right now and making a fortune because it's, it seems like anything that Luke's got his hands on that people want. <laughs> yeah, they're, well, it's like, you know, it's, what I'd say to Luke is if they didn't sell out, that means he lost. But, you know, with the, all, of, all of the hats from the team that didn't win the Super Bowl those are the ones that are the ones that say, you know, uh, LA Rams, Super Bowl champions. Those are the hats that are, they're valuable, right? Because it never actually <laughs> happened. So the Avixa V neck, despite its lack of success, may actually be more, more uh, valuable because it wasn't a hit. That's right. That's right. You know, it's funny. There was this whole thing on social media afterwards. It's like, does anybody really go and buy the t shirts at a trade? Like, why would you do that? It's like, because it's cool. That's why. <laughs> So, I, d I did it. I, I yeah. paid for mine. I paid I, for this one. I didn't get yeah. it for free. I, no, it's I spent a good my money. It's a good looking t-shirt. I liked it. Yeah, I liked yeah. it. And good on you for promoting a Vixen as well. So as, as, as you tend to do in all, all aspects of your life. So, um, well, so this has been really, really cool. Um, what, is there anything that we didn't touch on that is important to you, you know, kind of in this intersection, technology and design conversation or, um, sort of the insights or, or, uh, or thoughts to leave the audience with you all? No, I just think, I mean, I think, I think people many times think of technology and space as, as two completely different disciplines. And, and what I would say is that, you know, um, the way we work is really what we're, what we're working around. Right. And technology is an integral part of the way we work. Uh, just as space is, just as um, creating a place where people have good morale and, and all those things, technology is a core part of, of our workplace today. And, you know, many times I think people say, oh, well, you know, our, just our worlds are so different, but they're not because we're, we're really trying to serve the exact same thing. How, how do we make um, a business as successful as possible and keep employee engagement as high as possible and productivity as high as possible? And if we're all coming, coming to the table with that same conversation, then we can all add our pieces into it and create those layers that we need to be successful with it, as opposed to thinking, well, we're going to do all this to this point, and then we're going to bring somebody in to add this something else on top. Um, I just don't think if you're not privy to, to the process, you know, um, then you're not going to be successful. And, you know, if you, if you are in a position where you get brought in late, my, I guess my last piece of advice would be, you know, just ask people to take a step back. You know, if I get brought into a job late and they say, hey, we want to buy these 18 things because these are the 18 things we've decided we need technology wise. Um, a great question is like, is just to, to acknowledge the work that they've done. It looks like you've done a lot of great work here. You've done a lot of research. You obviously put together a, a list of things that you want. Can you, you know, before I, you know, price that out or, or look at that, can you tell me a little bit about the process it took to get to that? And just let them really kind of explain to you how they got to where they're at. And then maybe you find some places where you can add some insight, ask some very intuitive questions to help maybe form that in a different way if it's not quite right. Um, as opposed to going, well, you guys don't know technology. I'll redo that for you. Right. Because I think many times we come in and say, oh, I'm going to save the world with my system design. And I've been doing this for 27 years and I do all the companies in your same vertical and I know exactly what you need from a technology standpoint 
And we've used the same touch panel interface for 15 years and everybody loves it. Great. That may all be true and great. But when you come in that way with that chest thumping, instead of honoring the person's work and really asking to understand the process, I think you put yourself in a really bad position because then if it doesn't work perfectly, um, they're second guessing everything because they had a different plan that you talked them out of. It's much better to go back and talk about the process and come to something together that you both conclude will, will work. So um, I guess, I guess it's the approach, right? I mean, my, my final word would be just um, take a home, you know, come in with a humble heart, you know, other people might've done great work before you. Maybe they just weren't asking the same questions. And at least if you understand those assumptions that they've made, you can help steer them in the right direction. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Come in with a humble heart. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's so true. And I think that the more that all of us kind of understand that, uh, you know, we're, we're not all experts in each respective field. Um, but that ultimately respect needs to be provided all the way around and, and if I'm more over, it's just really a general understanding of all in it together. Um, and that, you know, don't do that, don't do that just something. Um, that, <laughs> it's really interesting. That's the thing I, I, I keep that one come up and it's coming up from all sides. Um, uh, just from the technology integration perspective that, that we do have a history of, of doing that, um, or approaching the subject of, you know, we know something you don't know and therefore that makes us superior and you should just do what we say and no question. Um, and whether that was the approach or not, but I think that's just sort of been a generalized perception of, of that's the mindset of the baby integration community. And, and again, another component of why this, this podcast was launched and as well as my AB trade talk one as well, um, is to really kind of break down those barriers and, and to help everyone understand how to, how to do a better job, um, and sort of eliminate those, those old past perceptions that, you know, unfortunately, there, were, there, there probably was some bad behavior, but I also think that there was probably a lot of technology that um, may have disappointed. And I would bet you that disappointed everybody in the room, you know. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, those bad experiences just kind of tend, tend to follow us. Um, there's, there's somebody that has an Italian job, and he said, I had a bad <laughs> experience, you know, when he was talking about the dog, or I yeah. had a bad experience. You know, it just, I, I think that the, you know, people tend to remember the bad experiences um, more so than, than the positive experiences. So, you know, for, for all involved and for everyone who listens to, to the show, you know, it's kind of like, it's time to park those old past perceptions, um, you know, when we're talking about technology and, and that the integration or the intersection of technology and design and, and really approach it from a, from a new, fresh vision um, and, uh, and one with opportunity, wrought with opportunity um, for, for everybody involved. There's, you know, what technology can bring now into an environment it's unbelievable, um, and the experiences that can be created um, are are undeniably unlike anything that anyone would have imagined would be possible in today's day and age. And let alone, you know, what what's coming around the corner. Oh my goodness! So, um, oh yeah, it's 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 funny because today we don't have a technology gap really. The gap in what we can do isn't provided by oh, if only the technology could do this, then we could do something really awesome. The technology can pretty much do most of what we want it to do today. Maybe that last 5% we're chasing, but, but we're there. Um, now it just becomes having the right mindset and the right conversations. Yeah. That's, 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 really, where, that's really where we're missing. Yeah. Um, so I think we're in this evolution of, of our industry where you know, we, really need to, we really need to start having better conversations with clients in order to fulfill. And it's, it's no longer, like you said, a technology problem. It's not a technology that was bad. There's a way to do it. The technology works now, the internet's at scale, all those things, right? Like 
there are solutions. It's just, we have to really, we really have to understand what the client wants to do to connect the dots. And we're not taking the time up front to do that. So everybody go do your, do your homework, do the, do the hard work up front. Enjoy. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, um, you know, it's not, it's not a, I say always be closing is dead. You know, don't, don't go in for a sale, go in for partnership and you'll get the sale to boot. You know, like there's a CS Lewis quote on, um, heaven and hell, right? Like, or heaven and earth. Like if you aim, if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth to boot, right? Like if you're aiming for the worldly things, you're going to fall short of that. But if you aim for these, this higher plane of, of success and things in life, you'll get the earthly stuff. Right. And I think that's what we have to do with these relationships. Aim for the relationship, aim for the conversation. You'll get the sale on the back end. You don't have to be closing from second one when you walk in a building. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Wise, wise words for all involved, especially for the AV integration community, but also architects and designers. Um, you know, I think, I, I hope that what we're all hearing coming from this conversation is, you know, we, we're, we're at a point, we're at this awesome intersection, um, as I keep bringing up, of, of technology and design at a time when technology is where design needs it to be. And maybe even just a little bit ahead. Um, in the evolution or in the, in the evolutionary curve. So, you know, I think it's um, now is a very, very good time to make connections or reconnect with, um, with, with trades and adjacent trades, um, but particularly those that have any involvement in the technology and, and take the time to take the meeting um, and uh, take, you know, set boundaries, like Mark said, you know, that 15 minute, that 15 minute meeting. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. And literally to just to stand by your word and say, you know, when this, when this dings, I'm out of here. Um, unless you want me to stay and, and if so I'm happy to accommodate those needs but you know, otherwise I'm just here to give you a quick update and education and let you know how you can learn more and how I can continue to be a resource for you should you need oh, it, entering into the conversation that way is much more palatable and, and is much more respectful of everyone's time and, and position in, you know, in, in the world so to speak is from a trade perspective so um, really appreciate you taking the time to share um, your background, Mark, but especially you know what you're doing with with Tangrid and, and and how the trades are um, are intersecting right now, kind of at a, at a blazing rate. Um, so you know, I, I definitely appreciate all the insights that you shared. Um, quickly before I forget, contact information for your company, for yourself, um, and any kind of other parting words that you might have. Sure. So if they want to check out what Tangram does uh, at scale, it's uh, Tangram T A N G R A M interiors.com. So tangraminteriors.com. Uh, if they want to find me, I'm usually on Twitter and I'm uh, at AV as in audio video phenom, P-H-E-N-O-M. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Mark Coxon on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me again. I'm, I'd, I'd love to connect. You don't have to have a project to connect with me. You don't have to have a PO to connect with me. Um, somebody that found me on Reddit from something I replied to four years ago was having a text message conversation with me last night at 11 PM about how to clean a screen. So, uh, I'm happy to share, happy to do advice. I need lots of friends. So if you want to, if you want to connect, connect with me on, in one of those ways. And apparently if you need to learn how to clean a screen at 11 o'clock at night, go ahead and let Mark. Yeah, uh, exactly. Let Mark know. He's, he's here to help. Yes. So, um, and also you do also have a very fascinating personal side and I don't want to dive too deep into that, but as we tie in, uh, we tie instructor, um, you also do a little something with, and I know I'm going to botch the name of it, but is it Krav Maga? Krav Maga. Yeah. Krav Maga. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I teach Muay Thai at a Krav Maga gym. So I'm, uh, I'm learning, I'm learning Krav Maga and I'm uh, continuing to teach Muay Thai, which is, which is awesome, which keeps me, uh, 
in shape and, and hopefully, uh, helps me protect my, uh, my family. The Krav Maga thing is, um, what is it? Uh, oh man. So one can walk in peace. That's the thing. You yeah. know, peace of peace yeah. of mind. You yeah. don't have to worry about it. So, yeah. well, it's cool. And you know, I mean, all of those disciplines are very, very good for focusing and, and, and sort of centering yourself and eliminating stress and tension from your life. So the one thing we didn't really dive into much here, but that I know is, is a backbone for you is wellness and, and, and you know, healthy lifestyle and healthy living. And, um, and as an instructor, I just wanted to throw that out there. So if you, if you are in yeah. the, is it the Westlake village area, yeah, I'm in I'm in Orange County. So if you're down if you're down near Irvine and you want to uh, come in on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. in Mission Viejo and learn how to uh, kick somebody in the groin, which is the kind of number one move for Krav Maga, um, feel free to come on down and we'll uh, we'll hook you up. Excellent. I'm going to remember that. I don't know when I'm going to be in SoCal again, but next time I do get out there, yep. <laughs> that would, that would be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun. So awesome. All right, sir. Well, thank you again for taking taking the time and and uh, letting us all get to know you a little bit better, but also explore this this fascinating intersection of technology and design, uh, sharing your your insights. I really really appreciate it. And uh, um, you know, again for 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 sharing all of that with the audience and taking time out of your day. So. With, awesome. with that, yes, thank you for joining us. Um, I am Katie McGregor-Bennett, your host of Connecting Tech and Design. This has been a conversation with Mark Coxon of Tangent Interiors. You can find more on Connecting Tech and Design online. Be sure to follow, download, subscribe, share with your friends, do all that fun stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again on another episode.